amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the program. We are your host, Aaron and Matthew Miller. Going to do another extreme Q&A today. This would be, of course, third time is a charm. Amen, Aaron? Amen. One of the questions that came in is, well, it's a complicated question uh, that came my way. They wanted to know, astronomically speaking, how... Uh, Gemini, the twins, could be tied to the birth of Christ. How could this have become uh, part of the birth of Christ cycle? Is there any way, shape, or form this could have, uh, this celestial event could have occurred in the twins? And one of the things that's really going to blow people's mind is this. Everybody knows that um, just like uh, is stated uh, there in the text that the star stood over where the child had been born. Uh, this is how uh, the Magi navigated the distance to find the Christ child. It's just quite simple. This is how celestial navigation is done. Uh, you can look it up in any uh, a sea or air uh, almanac. This is how you do it. Um, and it's pretty important that people uh, realize this, that uh, the star of Castor, uh, usually I, I do this. I go off that, that single star uh, that is Castor. It goes directly over, well, especially the Church of the, of the Nativity. It periodically transit directly over, and I do mean directly over the Church of the Nativity. Uh, nativity. Now, with that in mind, I've probably got everybody's attention, right, Aaron? But I really haven't started yet. Because when you take a look at the actual star, Castor, Aaron, what do you find? Okay, so this star, Castor, is not one star. It's a system. Uh, what we see looks like a star. Okay. Because um, it's far, it's way too far away for us to, you know, tell that it's more than one star that are orbiting each other. But that's exactly what it is. They, um, the Castor system 
um, is made up of uh, how many stars? One, two, six stars, and they are part of a, the craziest system ever. You can look it up. Just look up on on Google the Castor system, and then pictures will come up, and you'll see that these they're just systems of stars circling around each other. So these are three binaries. Yes. That have formed their own center of spin. Exactly. So you <laughs> and what and what you're seriously saying here, there's a black hole between each of those stars. Now, quantify what you just stated. A lot of people don't understand what you just said. Okay, binary stars have to have a black hole between them. That's what that that's how they uh circle around each other. With that in mind, Aaron, people's going to be blown away what this is a perfect pictorial representation of. Yeah, I, we were looking at this, and I was shocked. Look up the Shield of the Trinity. When I saw when I saw the visual representation of this, I was like, Dad, that's the Shield of the Trinity. <laughs> and, and you were like, what the heck is that? And I looked up the picture for you. <laughs> The shield of the Trinity is a visual representation of what the Trinity, what God is, how the Trinity works. Right. Okay. You have it's a triangular shape. Each of the three points has a different person of the Godhead: the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right. In the center is God. Is God. Okay. And says so. The lines connecting each of these points says is not. So the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father, and you're going to go the other way. Right. The three persons are not each other. This is how Jesus pulled off a conversation with the Father, because he's not the Father. Right. But the Father is God. The Son is, is God. God. The Holy Spirit is, is God. God. So, and, the, and, this is, and this is how the Trinitarian uh, shield so perfectly displays to us what the Trinity is. So when a person's like, well, how did God have a conversation with himself? He didn't. The son <laughs> had a conversation with the father, and they're not the same person. Right, they're not the same thing. But they're all God. But this is a perfect pictorial representation of the Castor star system. Exactly. So this could have, look, of course, this star system could have been pulsing energy. Oh, yes. And something that you really, what you really need to see about who Castor is. Okay, so uh, Leda, uh, in Greek mythology, um, Leda was the mother of these two by uh, these twins, Castor and Pelux. They're half-brothers. Pelux was the divine son of Zeus. Castor was the son, mortal son of the king of Sparta. This is, um, I mentioned this before, the concept of superfecundation, mm -hmm. having right, having more more than one fa a, a different father for each of the twins in the same womb. Um, so why would Castor? being the completely man one, represent Christ. Because Jesus 
was completely man. He wasn't a demigod. So what you're saying is this is a perfect representation. Oh, even, even better. Castor is entirely man. But the star system points to the trinity, the divinity within. So it demonstrates the hypostatic union. Jesus was entirely God and entirely man. And you're saying that this is why, back then, when he was telling people he was the son of man, they had an understanding of what he was saying, far surpassing any knowledge that the modern Christian has in relationship to this diascore. Oh, and these magi, there's no way the magi could have known anything about the system. There's no way they could have known. <laughs> way too but, far away. If it was tripping, if it was signaling, they would have followed this exact star right over where he was. Placed. And I've told you before, what if black holes merge, they say it's the most powerful energy, energy that the entire universe could ever it could produce. Right. It's awesome amount of energy. And so I think that might have been what happened. Maybe this system was formed by that energetic emission. Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah. This, I mean, maybe the stars were there, by which the the ancients knew what the Dioscuri were, but they arranged them themselves in this manner when Christ was born. When Christ was born. They formed these binary systems. What you're saying is absolutely off the hook. You realize that, right? It's absolutely off the hook. But the ramifications of, of that is just, just mind-blowing. It really is mind-blowing. Now, boy, that was a lot to take in, right? <laughs> I mean, that was really a lot to take in. But, but this is this information about the Dioscore is massively important when it comes to Bible prophecy because we have these two groups in the book of Revelation described most profoundly in Isaiah chapter 26. You realize that this diascore type of episode exactly comes true in the book of Revelation where you have the first group of 144,000 that are sealed you find out that those sealed were beheaded later in chapter 20 of Revelation, and they are of those of the first resurrection. And the other group of 144,000, boy, in a private conversation today, uh, we talked a whole lot more about what we lightly covered on that in another extreme Q&A. I think it was number two. We talked about that, that uh, there in, in Isaiah, it says that the inhabitants of the world did not drop. Remember, that's, that's what it says. Literally, I think you get that from the, KJ ver, uh, the KJV, uh, the New American Standard Bible says, was born. But literally, we know what it's talking about, that verse. Back in the day, you would squat to give birth, and the child would drop. It would fall to the ground. Or to the, you know, 
whatever she was standing over, you know, linen cloth, whatever. So when you know this, when you put that with Isaiah chapter 26 and realize that what she's saying is the children never come through the birth canal. They're literally, so to speak, they've never touched it. Well, they are the perfect virgin, correct? <laughs> yeah. They've never gone through the birth canal. So when you realize the importance of this diascore, you realize that inside of it is the entire tale of the Son of Man. Why he would be saying this, why he would be doing this. Um, so with that in mind, this ties into the next question. The question was uh, concerning Apollyon and Abaddon. Yeah, Apollyon is the Greek form of Abaddon's name that appears in the book of Revelation. The uh, Bible, the, the word Apollyon, if you were to apply the correct Greek rules to it, is not a noun. It's a verb. So, it means to be destroying. The process of destroying. And so, with that in mind... The word already is supposed to provoke your attention, but the um, the question was how about how the name associates with uh, Greek uh, Greek gods and other mythologies, and it is true that Apollo has a very very close to the name meaning. So, but it means it does mean the destroyer. So Apollo is a um, is a much like Apollyon in, in form. So, why, how, how can we apply this to scripture? What does it mean? Um, well, Apollo in Greek myth was the god of the sun. Okay, and he plays a part in a very, very similar story to the Dioscuri. How so? Okay, in, uh, in the Dioscuri story, the Castor and Plux, they say that Zeus seduced um, uh, Leda, and she had these twins. Uh, and this caused problems, of course. And the next, uh, in this story, Leto is one of the Titans. She um, bears a child by Zeus, again, another Zeus, twins. This time Artemis and Apollo. Hera being jealous, because of course she's always jealous, her husband's running around all the time. But, um, she sends a dragon named Python. So, here in the story, we see, um, this, this dragon Python, who actually appears in the scripture. The demon Python, um, was exercised by, um, Paul in Acts 16 verse. I always remember this number because, yeah, uh, Acts 16, verse 16, it says that, um, and it came to pass as we went out to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination. This actually says in Greek, the spirit of Python or the spirit Python. And she met us, which bought, brought her masters much gain by saying. So, and then this demon is cast out by Paul. This is the first time we have an indication of how to cast out demons 
he uses the name of Jesus Christ. He says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of her the same hour. So there's something pretty interesting here about the dragon. Uh, Python is, appears as a demonic spirit here. They would rely on this spirit for um, telling them the future, which they were making profit off of. Exactly. Um, this demon um, may actually also appear in your Bibles as uh, Psalms 91. It's really famous. <clears throat> and you will tread upon, and thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder, and the young lion and the dragon shall trample under thy feet. Okay, so this is the same passage that says he will send his angels to, in charge of you. This is the scripture that Satan quotes to Jesus. Mm -hmm. And the word, when it says he will tread upon the lion and the adder, the word for adder is pethen. So here we're back to this entity again. Is this the same entity that was at that operated the oracle at Delphi. I think so. It says the dragon you will trample trample under your feet. So this this passage, Satan, through Satan's questions, we realize that this passage is messianic. Yes, quite messianic. No Jew would ever see that. No, it wouldn't be able to be perceived that way by the Jew. But Satan quoted it like very naturally he says it says in the scripture concerning you the angels will charge will be set in charge over you you will not dash your foot across a stone and this is telling you Christ crushed the head of the serpent here right is the one crushing the head of the serpent so back to Apollo so Hera sends this python to kill who to kill um the mother of these two children. Okay, so still, I don't know if she's still pregnant at the time. She's still pregnant at the time with these twins. She sends this dragon to kill them. So, literally, through the swapping of one letter, phonetically, <clears throat> it can be pronounced the same. Actually. You have, in one instance, in one tale, the Dioscore is Castor and Pelux. In the other one, it's Artemis and Apollo. Yeah. But the same story, just different characters. And the mother has been changed. Now, take note, Aaron, that in one instance, it is a human mother with what name? Leda. In the other story, it is a titan, and her name is what? Leto. You understand, Aaron, that once a woman has sex, has intercourse with an angel, she becomes cloven. Literally, genetically speaking, her genetics go haywire, and she becomes a monster. We have that quite plainly in the text. So, could this tie could this tie in with our former show, the House of Repha? We have this cloven along the ark. She's in the ark. Right, she's on the ark. She has a child within her. Two children, which I suggest perhaps one. There are two Kushes. One Kush is the survivor, and one Kush is the one who became the father of the Ethiopians. And like I said in, in that show, I said, 
they're divided, they're separated. Nimrod is, isn't named among the other names. That's right. He's separated. He is purposefully separated. Yes, he is. So, perhaps that's who this is talking about. The mother has these children inside of her, the twins. And the, um, and the, and the, there are several indications, there are different, different mythologies, and the book of the giants says that Ahia, the, um, the person who had impregnated her with the Nephilite child, he fights the dragon with Raphael's help. Okay, so this battle, they defeat, they kill the dragon. But this dragon, of course, sent against who? So, here, um, I, I do think Apollo coming to save his mother has different has several implications it gives two implications one is the survivor apollo is the survivor in this case he is um he of course survives the flood but there's also a spiritual entity involved abaddon the spirit who god sends to chain those demons who have risen up after the flood this is recorded in um jubilees chapter 10 the um the demons right after the flood they eventually rise up out of the underworld and start tormenting everyone yeah because they're very mad because they had just been slain in close proximity to the flood now not because of the flood but in close proximity on the timeline to the flood so perhaps this is what's happening python and leviathan in this instance is plausible, believable. He is the firstborn son of uh, Azazel. And he, this, before the flood, he was killed, but his spirit rises up. He's ruling over other, the other spirits. He rises up out of the pit. This time, Apollo, Apollyon, Abaddon, this angel is sent by God to go chain him chain a bunch of his arm so this has got of, of course we're taking this we're taking this from pagan ideas right which we're which i described in one of our shows it, it gets degraded over time what we're saying is that the biblical story is what produced this mythology and you are giving a definition of how that could have happened correct yes well that's exactly what we're here to do okay we're here taking this mythology and giving life to it. Its origin is in the biblical text. Like I said, characters are uh, are very confused. Once I tried to Christianize um, Hesiod's Theogony, which means where my my Christianization is when I go in and change names, mm -hmm. where I take where it says God, I change it to Angel, where it says God's or where it says goddesses, I, I would change that to cloven or something like that. I would change it so that put those words into Christian understanding. But some of those mythologies are so distorted over time, different different stories are blurred together. Right. And like like we mentioned here with the two stories of the twins, their their two stories are blurred together. So it's 
so it's hard so it's hard to see what truth is there because you know the paganism had destroyed the truth so far but we can conclude where this idea came from and it did in fact have biblical origins so once you realize that it will blow your mind it's how you can take celestial somology punch it into the bible source code and it will blow your mind to look into the heavens and say, okay, the closest we can do, the closest we can come to knowing where Christ's birth was is just do what the early church fathers done right. And you have to agree that the church of the nativity is at least in the neighborhood. It's right there, right on top of it, somewhere in that general vicinity. There must be a star that does exactly what the biblical text says that it does. And those magi use celestial navigation to plot what was directly underneath that star, geographically speaking. You go to that place, you look right over your head. What passes directly overhead is the star Castor. Now, I just came up with something interesting. Um, so, where is the star Castor? It is in the constellation of Gemini. And it rides right there at a 90-degree angle above or from the horizon from, of course, Bethlehem. And we use our geographical location. The closest that we know we can do is the star is the Church Nativity. Okay, so people believe that the that the Magi got the story of uh, the that prophecy that this would be the sign of the Messiah. From Numbers 24, verse 17. There shall come a star out of Jacob, a scepter to rule out of Israel. Smite the corners of Moab and destroy all the children of Sheth. So, you know what's something really interesting about Jacob? What? Jacob was the twin of Esau. Jacob was the twin, the diaspora of Esau. And what did God say about these two children and the promise? Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. You can take this this diaspora. Of course, you have one part of the diaspora uh, whom the Bible calls Moshe'im, right to the book of Obadiah, which says what? Mount Esau. So, you have to understand, Aaron, all of these mythologies are built around the biblical text. They're absolutely built around it. And a lot of people don't even realize, well, I hate to tell everybody, but the Dioscore is right there in the New Testament. Plainly states it. Uh, the New Testament comes right out in the Greek, mentions the Dioscore, and that's what was being talked about in that instance there. So you just have to realize that it's there all the way around. You can't get away from it. When we turn to that biblical text... You have it in Acts 28, verse 11. The New American Standard Bible says this. So it's, once again, we need a correct translation. So we're going to read it in two translations here. I hate to tell you, here the Greek says diaspora directly, letting you know who it is. But this in the New American Standard Bible, Acts 28, 11. At the end of the three months, we set sail on the Alexandrian ship, which had wintered at the island which had the twin brothers for its figurehead. 
here, this is not what's being stated at all. It is Diascore, exactly what we're, it had the twins on the mast of this ship. You understand that's what it's saying. Switch it over to the KJV. It says basically the same thing, only guess what it adds. It says something else. What does it say, Aaron? It says, Tester and Pelux. That's right. But the Edita Regia, like it doesn't say Castor and Plux. What does it come out and say actually in the Greek letting you know? It says directly Diascore. And I found it really interesting what Diascore could translate into. Okay, so the first part is Dios, or which is actually, just so you all know, people, Zeus is usually Dios. Yeah, Dios or Dia. In Greek text. It's yeah. rarely ever Zeus in that point. Right. Rarely is a Zeus. But it means, it comes from the Latin word Deus, God. And then this could be thoroughly translated in the second part, Curios, right. the Lord. Yes. God Lord. Yes. The Lord God. And so this, it's really weird how that's, how that's in there. Some people suggest that Thomas was figuratively um, Jesus' twin brother, perhaps why he he's called Didymus, right? Didymus, and Thomas is translated as twin, and so is Didymus. So, and the Gospel of John goes way out of its way to let you know that it just says, which means the twin, which means the twin, yes. And so he, um, why? And some others even said that he was actually. Jesus' twin. We know that could not literally be true. That could not be true, Aaron, because of the virgin birth story. Yeah, because that would imply that he was divine in this. Not true, but we know that there's twin stars. Um, that, that Halley's Comet appeared twice in this. That's exactly correct. This is this is known as the ghost comet in the Chinese text. So, and this ghost comet appeared two years after Jesus' comet appeared. Exactly. This is what the Magi were seeing appear above them. They were seeing the ghost comet. They were seeing the twin. So, imagine, if you will, this. Castor shoots off. It appears in the heavens as if Hadley's comet is coming from the Dioscore. No, no. Haley's Comet is entering into it because it appears in the east. The scripture says that. They saw it in the east. Amen. Amen. And it traveled across the sky and entered right into it. And once they realized that. Once they realized that Haley's Comet had entered where, son? It entered into Castor. This Haley's <laughs> Comet had. If Haley's Comet represents God as a deity, he entered into man. A complete man. That man being the Dioscore Castor. Yes. Representing the, you know, the completely man part. Yes. And like, and I, this is this exact is, it was course. so cool how, how I found this. Uh, my dad had seen this before, but I, I hadn't seen his work on it. But one time when I was at college, I got an app that helped me get the numbers. I figured out that um, the, the best date, average date for Jesus' birth, I found was October 5th, uh, 12 B.C. That's right. 
And um, I looked into the skies at that time. I said, what would they, what would the Magi have seen coming out of the horizon? What constellation would they have seen the star coming out of? Guess what it was? Virgo. It was coming out of the Virgin. This star travels up. <laughs> it rides the ecliptic right to the Dioscora. Yeah. Right to Gemini. Okay, so we're going to have to take this a little bit further. But before we go there, you realize that the Bible goes way out of its way to state that Jesus was holy man and holy God. And you realize this is best represented by the Dioscore, by the constellation Gemini, which is that story. You understand that, right? So now we're really going to throttle. We are really going to push the envelope now. Uh, absolutely for sure. This was one that really had us both really tense because we were just staring at it for a few minutes. Because it doesn't belong there. This is Exodus chapter 4, verses 24 to 26. They really don't belong there. You can actually read the text with the English translation, and you sit back and you're like, why is this there? It doesn't make any sense. You must use extreme exegesis. You've got to get your hands dirty with these three verses, Aaron. That's the only way to do it, is to get your hands dirty. That's how it's got to be done. So when we bring this text up, we're just going to uh, do what we always do and uh, just read this in the New American Standard uh, Bible. So, verse 24. Now, it came about at the lodging place on the way that the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut her son's foreskin and threw it at Moses' feet. And she said, You are indeed a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone at that time. She said, You are bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Yeah, we found that this was a very, very garbage translation. Well, well, well first up, now, now wait, before we go there, these... In this translation, these three verses don't belong. It don't belong. This is a complete break in the narrative. This is the narrative, okay? The narrative is this. God tells Moses, you go tell Pharaoh this. Israel's my firstborn son, and you're going to let him go to worship me, or I'm going to kill your firstborn son. Okay? So... We jump down to verse 27, okay? And you pick up the story. Now the Lord said to, to Aaron, go to meet Moses in the wilderness. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kisses him. These three verses don't belong. And they don't make sense either. Like, why is God coming to kill him? Like, it's not even explained. It's just random. It's really, it, ever since childhood, this, this verse has bothered me. Well, because I couldn't understand what was happening. Because the three verses don't belong there in this. Look, Aaron, we have to be sure that we tell everybody that this translation is an interpretation of Hebrew. God took the vows from you, son. 
So the only way you can even come up with a proper interpretation or even get into the ballpark is to look at the Septuagint, which predates the Hebrew by a thousand years. By a thousand years. Okay? Now, this is where the Church of the East has the problem. They never even look at the Hebrew, not realizing that this is where you're going to get your prophetic information. Okay? So the Hebrew is true and the Greek is true. But when you take a look at this in the Hebrew and go off the translation I just gave you, the only conclusion you can come to is that these three verses must have been a mistake. Somebody, they belong somewhere else, right? Yeah. My, my wording is, if you try to translate from the Hebrew alone, you're chasing after wind. You can literally come up with any translation you want, son. Yes, you can. Hebrew is a very, very vague language. It, it's Whereas Greek is very precise. There is nothing more exacting than Greek. Nothing. If you want to deliver exact instructions, you use Greek. You're going to get exactly the details to the minute in linguistic form. However, Hebrew, God took the pure language from you. And he plainly says that he's going to give that back to you. He's going to give you a pure language in the kingdom of heaven, correct? So, with this in mind, this is one of those times where, is this wrong? Did somebody mistranscribe? They like, on Friday, uh, they stopped at verse 23, and then, you know, they partied all weekend. Maybe it was, you know, who knows, some holiday. Uh, they all get drunk. They come back, and, you know, and the wind blew the papers around. So he takes these three verses and put it in, in the wrong place. And he realizes, oh, and then, you know, once his... His hangover wore off. You were like, oh, well, man, here, I'll just start in verse 27. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and you could you could, you could, could definitely have argued that this was an interpolation later. Right, right. You Certainly you could. However, that's a lie. Yeah. So, so we took it into context, and we were like, what is he talking about? And more importantly, what does this have to do with the firstborn son? Because let's go back. To the original premise. This is what happens, verse 21. The Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders which I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart and will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord of Israel, is my, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I said to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But you have refused to let him go. Behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Okay, so this is all directed at Pharaoh. This is a threat. Amen? And all of a sudden you have these three random verses. Yes. And so let's try to read the three verses through the Septuagint. Okay, let's do it. I will read that for you in the, you want the Thompson or the Britain? I don't care. Okay, the Thompson states it as thus. Verse 24. Now when he was on the way at the resting place, an angel of the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Whereupon, Sipporah took a sharp stone and circumcised her son. 
Then she fell at his feet and said, The blood of the circumcision of my son hath stopped me. So she departed from him because she said, The blood of the circumcision of my son hath stopped me. Yeah, this this, this uh, stopped me does not appear in the Greek. It rather says stopped. Has stopped something. The blood of this of the circumcision of her son has stopped. Who does it stop? It's clear. It says, "Then the angel departs." Then the angel departs. So, so notice how in the Hebrew it only tells us that YHVH shows up. Right. The angel here is not inside the text. Correct. Yes. So, so here we're we're it's the the Greek is coming out and letting us know. This is not YHVH himself, but his angel. Correct. The one who bears his name. So you are saying that the word angel is here in the Septuagint. Yes. It is right there, G32. This is angel. So so this gives us some key critical... Well, well, we'd have a problem. This isn't YHVH, because what would happen if YHVH showed up and they saw him? They would all die. Yeah, so so Oof. this is what happened. This is this is how I did it with how the conversation went with, with that. I said, visualize what happens. The angel of the Lord shows up in the doorway. Right. Moses's wife freaks out. She freaks. That's she right. goes, gets the child, circumcises it. She falls at the feet, not of Moses, but of the angel. She falls at the angel's feet. Which that does not come out and say it in that translation. It leaves you wondering, who's him? Who's him? Who's him? Yes, and only in the context that the Greek gives us, she falls at the feet of the angel, and she tells him, the blood of the circumcision will stop who? You. The angel. Yeah. And the the angel angel leaves. And why has this angel come to kill? Because... It's, it starts, the angels come to kill him. Who is him? Moses or the son? I said, and then I, when I was reading it, looking at it one more time, <laughs> this is, the answer was there in broad daylight. We just didn't have the right, you know, diacritic marcher or whatever you would say in English. Jots Show and tittles. We didn't have the right jots and tittles. It says, in the verse right before, I said to thee, Send away my people, that they may serve me. If I will not send them away, I will slay thy firstborn son. And it came to pass that the angel of the Lord met him in the way and sought to kill him. So, you are thinking in your mind, he's saying that to Pharaoh. That he's saying this threat that he would kill his firstborn son to Pharaoh. No, the, the, the colon of what he's supposed to say to Pharaoh stops here. You have not sent them away. Then it goes... See, I will slay your firstborn son. So what the text actually says is this. Moses was not going to go deliver this message. More importantly, why would the girl have, why would the woman have circumcised her son? Abrahamic covenant. She was reminding the Lord, she was reminding the Lord of the promise. The promise must be fulfilled. Now, what is the parent prophecy? Son, your children will be as the stars, the heaven, and the sand on the seashore. Amen? Amen? 
And you could take that to the bank. That trumps everything. So what we're saying here is is what we've come to the conclusion here is is that the Lord is actually threatening to kill Moses because he's not going to deliver this message. Let's pick it up. Does that make sense? Verse 27. Now, the Lord had said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God, and they saluted each other. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord, which he had been sent, and all the orders which he had given him in charge. You realize, Aaron, this is when Moses and his brother comes to, they haven't been to Pharaoh yet. Now you realize that this angel shows up, and he's like, you're lodging. You're not going to Egypt, are you? You're sitting here in this resting place, right? Oh, no, you're not. I'm going to put it into you right now. Zipporah has the wherewithal to say, Oh, crap, this idiot hasn't gone to, you know, tell Pharaoh what God told him. She's coming to kill him. But she reminds the angel of the Lord of the parrot prophecy. She Reminds the angel of the Lord of the promise. The promise is paramount before all of creation. Yeah. Remember, when, when we say the Abrahamic prophecy or the parent promise, what is that? That was sealed through a circumcision. Let us remember, what is a covenant? A covenant is not the same as a promise. Right. Because it's two-sided. Right. It's two-sided. But that means you both have your part. God's part was that he promised you would do it. He said, I will pull this off. I will do this, and I will be with you and protect you. Your side of the deal is you circumcise yourself. Various things, like in the scripture when it says things about like um, putting those, you know, uh, not mixing cloths or stuff, you know, really weird things that, People are like, why would God ever tell people not to, to do these things with their clothing, with their hair, all of that? Why would he do that? Because he was separating them out, reminding them of the, prom the promise that he made. And that's what makes the covenant two-sided. So, this Zipporah, when she cuts off the foreskin of her child's skin, she said, God... Remember the covenant that you made for us. Now, what is important here about this is here you'll take note that in both instances, the Hebrew and the Greek, in this verse here, in verse 24, it makes it plain to you about this lodging place, this resting place. Do you know how this is important? Do you know how God remembers this with the promise and sins Christ? Do you know how that... If you go to Luke uh, uh, chapter 2 and verse 7, it's going to blow your mind. Because when you go there, Aaron, take note, what is the word there for in? The same word. Same thing. Moses was not doing what he was told to do. The angel showed up. What the heck are you doing resting in a lodging place? You're not supposed to be here. And Luke Words this so craftily. <laughs> what? How, Luke, how does Luke word it? Luke 2 verse 7. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. son. And she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them 
in the, in the end. So now you can really blow your mind as to realize how important it was that they didn't make their way inside the end, son, right? Because that probably would have ticked somebody off that they weren't, you know, getting to the journey. But you realize how this prophecy becomes isochronal inside the event. There is no way around it. Those three verses there, Exodus chapter 4, verses 24, 25, and 26, lead you directly to Luke chapter 2, verse 7. And it does so just perfectly. Perfectly. The angel of the Lord is ceased. And it makes you wonder, you better pause for good news. What was the angel involved with what was going on here in Luke chapter 2? The angels, um, it always seemed to me that he was protecting them, for one. But also, right after he, this event, after, right after this saying, he comes to the shepherds. And makes a great big announcement. Now, have you any of you ever wondered, why did the angel go to the shepherds? Have you ever really thought, sat down and wondered that? Why he why he, he was like, hey, all you shepherds, why don't you come? Is there any prophecy in the Old Testament to that? Because I'm not aware of one. Why did the angel go to them? Well, it is emphatic that you should look, you be, should begin to look where? Perhaps Exodus chapter 4. Oh, and, <laughs> and wasn't Moses a shepherd? When we go back to Exodus, okay, we was just getting ready to read and follow through, correct? Yes. All right. Verse 27. Now, the Lord said to Aaron, go to meet Moses in the wilderness. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord, which he had sent him, and all the signs which he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and assembled all the elders of the sons of Israel, and Aaron spoke to all the words which had been spoken to Moses, and he performed the signs in the sight of the people. So the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord was concerned about the sons of Israel, they had seen their affliction, and they bowed low and worshipped. You know what this, this, this event of Moses meeting Aaron sounds like to me? When Mary meets Elizabeth. When Mary meets Elizabeth, yeah, the, it sounds just like that. Because she was, well, well, Luke goes out of its way also to describe that Elizabeth was of the daughters of Aaron. Of the daughters of Aaron, that is correct. It goes way out of its way to say that. So so her son, of course, who represents Aaron meeting? How did Aaron uh, meet with Moses in this statement? John's in the womb. Jesus is in the womb. And they meet each other. And they meet each other. And even in the same, it says that they kissed each other in the statement. And um, Elizabeth says, the child leaped in my womb. The child leaped. So, these three verses had a lot, a whole lot more encoded into them than what anybody thought. And certainly the person that set me the question about the star, Castor, and does that tie into Bible prophecy or perhaps what happened with the Magi? So, with that in mind, Aaron, um, 
you realize all three of these tied into the Dioscore. This truly was a Dioscore episode, even though we didn't intend it to be this way. Yeah. So that really makes uh, this off the hook. So, you know, it's it's pretty amazing when, you know, you describe the aspect of these twins and how the star Castor is actually six stars, three sets of binaries actually orbiting each other. It's amazing uh, all the prophecy encoded here. And, you know, we just can't help you with junk English translations, right? It's not until you looked at that Greek, until you looked at the Hebrew, that you realized, oh my goodness, he has lodged in at the end. This has got him in trouble. When you use that word in, take it straight to Luke chapter 2, verse 7, you realize it was a pretty good thing that there wasn't room in the end because the angel of the Lord would have caught him, you know, resting, making merry, on a vacation, so to speak, amen, when this clearly ticked off the angel of the Lord. But it was the mother, not Mary. That's the mother in Luke chapter 2. The mother in this instance was Zipporah, and she cried out and reminded the angel of the Lord of the parent prophecy. She reminded him of the promise. And this ties in with, well, the first question, uh, the star of Castor. The second question, Apollyon, Abaddon. And the final question of Exodus chapter 4, verses 24 through 26. This is good stuff. This is extreme biblification. This is the type of thing that will get your mind out of the funny papers, right? This is the kind of stuff that will get your attention away from social media. Amen? Amen. This will get your nose in God's Word. I just, we're, my, me and my dad were having a conversation yesterday about, he asked me, why do I love the Bible so much? Who taught me to? And I told him, it is my passion for the truth. My passion for the truth, knowing that the world around me is going to lie. It's going to continue to chase after the wind, go in circles, and will try to catch me in that net. It'll do that to you too. But the scripture is true. It's pure. And the greatest thing about it was, is that I started with the faith that it was true. And then God showed me that it was. Through my walk, I have found that the scripture, through various evidences, the Bible is true. But the first step God wanted me to take was to believe that it was. I have stated that, son, since I was at, since the first time I got up and preached Wednesday night service in front of a hundred adults. At the time, I was only 16 years old. And I stated, if you don't believe it, I'm wasting your time. You must believe it first, and then he will show you his wonders, and they will blow your mind. And this is why it's so untrue. People think apologetics is for having conversations with atheists. This is not true. Because if you could... I've tried this before, trying to have conversations to prove to an atheist that God is... is that it's true. 
but someone who is not willing to hear. A person who's not li willing to listen will not hear. Look, what does Christ have to do with Belial? What do you have to do with an atheist? This Nothing. Is, this is uh, apologetics is for the Christian. That's right. To, because God, His truth, I, I've I've described it as this: because the sheep can be in danger sometimes when the false when the false shepherds come. They'll um, they'll spread heresies and lies. And this is what apologetics is for. It was for the people, the, the children of God, to shepherd them in the right direction. So God showed me his truth after I believed it. Now I know without a shadow of a doubt that the Bible is true. But first I had to believe that. And so I call all of you, all of these listeners... To the comfort that the Bible will never, ever lie to you. It cannot. Because it was written by the Holy Spirit. I once made a post that said, God, the only limitation to God is that he cannot sin. Is not in his nature. So, the Holy Spirit who wrote the Bible could not lie to you. So, either people are interpreting it wrong... Or they're translating it wrong. And we must remember, we just stated this, that your translation is dependent upon your own interpretation. Exactly. And that's a big thing. Sometimes trans translators will interpret it the way that they want it to be translated. And that can, or, or, or this is the worst one. They'll use the common translation. The one that's <laughs> common among translations. Well, I don't care about what everybody else were translating. But the people back in the KJV days, they didn't even know what they were... They didn't know half of what we know about Hebrew as we do now. So how could they, their translation, be better than yours? So we need to rely on what it actually says. It's amazing what it does. Yeah, and I... I find joy in it. I find excitement in it. My dad can can tell you all about it too. It was because we believed it first. You have to believe it first, son. But if you have gotten to the point where you're tired of people lying to you, or if that's just hidden in the back of your mind that just knowing, just knowing that you, that little fear that you can't trust your pastor or you can't trust this theologian or that theologian, that little fear can be entirely quenched if you read it. That's right, if you read it. And you have to realize that, I mean, look at our own pastor, right? Look. Look at most of the pastors you've known in your life. Could you trust them, Aaron? Would they lie to you? Would they steal from you? No. Of course you could trust them. But I can't say this enough. Just because you have a degree doesn't mean you believe it. Yeah, and I, and I learned something in my life, different things that led me to complete devotion to the scripture, was I learned that I couldn't trust people. I couldn't trust what they had to say about things, about facts. I couldn't trust what someone had to tell me about what the Bible said. I had to see it for myself. 
And what's the only way you can see that, son? You gotta read it. And right now, I'm I'm trying to make. I understand there are some people who who, it's harder for them to understand a lot of things in the Bible. So I'm trying to make a translation personally, that can be understood by the layperson, but is also. Also true to the original text. So which one are you doing, New Testament or Old Testament? I'm starting in the Old Testament. Okay, so which one are you doing? Are you doing the Greek or are you doing the Hebrew? I'm using the Greek to translate the Hebrew. <laughs> so I'm using the a he, I'm translating the Hebrew, but I'm using the Greek to help me understand it. This is how people should have always been doing it. So what are you going to do when you get the New Testament? You're just going to wing it, or I'm going to use the Hebrew New Testament. I'm going to use the Hebrew New Testament to interpret the Greek. And you're going to do this all by yourself. Um, Dude, so you're planning on, I mean, I don't think you can pull that off in 120 years, and that's fine. I'm going to do everything that I can. You know? If, well, look, this is what I've always taught you from day one, boy. Do what you can, when you can, to the best of your ability with what it is you've been given. Have I ever stated anything else? Nope. <laughs> yeah. That's what he always taught me. I remember one time I said I would, I'm going to give 110% and you gave me a weird look. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. Well, yeah. Um, we hope very deeply that what our show does for you all is to give you hope and trust, hunger, peace in the scripture. Amen. The answers are there. It's in the Bible. Yeah, that's right there. You may not be able to trust your English translation. Or you may not be able to understand it, but he is telling you. It's there. So, um, we, ho we, we hope we all, we are actually teaching you to do the same things at home. That's right. That's right. God bless you all. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, you can take this to the bank. God bless. Godspeed. Fringeradionetwork.com slash donate. We don't need your money to survive. We pay for the network with our own hard-earned cash. But if you want to help us grow and reach more people, just go to fringeradionetwork.com slash donate. For a donation of $20 or more, we'll send you a free network t-shirt. FringeRadioNetwork.com slash donate. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. 
Learn more at cbp.gov careers.